Thank you for being here. Tonight I'm starting a new series. It's called 10 Ways to Be an Undefeated Christian. So tonight will be the first way. I'm going to show you how you can be a Christian that avoids getting into unnecessary trials and how you can have the victory that God wants you to have. If you're taking notes, follow along with me. You can email me your questions about things that I discuss with you because I really want you to understand. And the first way we're titling this sermon, Avoid Foolish Questions. Avoiding Foolish Questions. So we look at Titus chapter 3, verse 9, if you're taking notes. And the Bible says, don't get involved in arguing over unanswerable questions and controversial theological ideas. Keep out of arguments and quarrels about obedience to Jewish laws, for this kind of thing isn't worthwhile. It only does harm. So it's not just tonight as I'm going to discuss avoiding foolish arguments as to the reason why. But there are Christians who were Christians and backslide, backslidden Christians, then they come up and they want to argue with you. They want to waste your time talking to you about things that aren't really relevant, things that aren't really necessary to discuss. One of the questions a long time ago was, how many angels can you fit on the head of a pin? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? But there are those, and I've had them, I've run into them, and usually they always have a prophecy or something they think that you don't know that they want to teach you, and uh, they want to argue about it. So what I'm going to be talking tonight about is not just arguments, but your time. Say time. That's why I showed that video about time. And one of the questions I'll be asking you is, how much time do you think you have left on this earth? That's what I want you to think about. When we do funerals, we say in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it's called the better chapter. It is better to come to the house of mourning than to go to a party because in the house of mourning, the living will lay it to heart. They'll think about it. That could be me up there in the casket. How much time do I have left? So if that's the first thing, because we don't know, then what are you doing with the time that you think you have? And one of the points I'm going to discuss with you is that the world says time is money, and perhaps it is, but time is also equated with eternity. So how you spend your time here will determine where you spend eternity. Because once you get there, once you leave this earth, you never come back. Once you're there, you're there permanently. But let's talk about that. So my first point is, how much time do you have left on this earth? How much time do you actually have left? Since we're not sure about this, what are you going to do with whatever time you do have left? What are you going to do for God? Because if you're just living for numero uno and you're not giving any time to the Father, that's what you're going to have to answer for. I didn't do anything for God. I'm not in ministry. I didn't bring anyone to church. I didn't uh, spend time in the Word of God or Bible study. So what are you doing for God? This verse is concerned with avoiding activities that appear religious on the surface, but they provide little or no spiritual benefit for you or for others, especially those who don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. We are to be concerned with using our time wisely, avoiding distractions. 
Well, it's a nice necklace you have there. You see how I just got distracted? You have to avoid distraction. You know, if you're not paying attention, you're going to walk into a pole. If you're not paying attention, you're going to rear-end the car in front of you. Avoid distractions. I'll be explaining more about that. And perform activities that are profitable for us and others. So not everything is that relevant. You know, in the mornings when I wake up, I'll look at Google News, and I just, nope, nope. Nope, nope, I don't need to know that. I don't need to see that because I asked myself, what is this going to do for me? It's just going to fill my head with, you know, and then people say, hey, did you see that in the news? I go, yeah, but I don't read it. I just see the headlines because it's not really relevant for what I want in my life at this time. So now if we look at spiritual benefit, how would you describe a spiritual benefit? Would you even want one? Something that contributes to or increases our spiritual well-being, something that draws you closer to Jesus, not takes you away from him. So concerning your time, how are you spending your time? Is it getting you closer to God? Whatever you're doing may be good, but is it spiritually beneficial for you as far as your relationship to Jesus? Is somebody hearing me tonight? Somebody, someone told me Sunday, he said, Pastor Mike, you think we're not listening when we're just staring at you, but we're listening to you. We're just trying to soak up, soak up everything that you're saying. So, and I'm getting that look from you lately. <laughs> I wanted to make sure. A lax attitude about sin is not an advantage to you. It is a disadvantage. It is a detriment to unbelievers and to believers alike. You are to become more like Christ. Look at somebody and say, I think he's talking about you right there. You are to become more like Christ and not go around enjoying sin and hoping no one ever finds out. Because how many of you know everybody finds out? When someone tells you no one will ever know, he already knows. You came alive to Jesus Christ. Those of you that are born again, you came alive to Christ. The old you was supposed to have died. And if he or she hasn't, you're carrying your old nature around. You're still getting angry. You're still getting caught up in things that waste your time. But if you came alive to Jesus Christ, you don't even belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. He owns you. He is your savior. How many are breathing his air right now? Okay, how many drank his water today? How many of you were able to sleep because he stayed up and watched over you? So you can't get away from him. I don't care who you are, what you do, or who you think you are. You cannot get away from him, especially when you make him your savior. Come into my heart. Become my Lord. That means you have the authority. Become my savior. I have become a Christian, and this is the first way pastor has shown me how to be an undefeated Christian. There's enough things wanting to bring you down, destroy you, weaken your faith. But you live for Jesus Christ. You don't live for what you did in the past. Who understands me again? You're not living for that. You died to your old nature. So why do you still act that way? Look at somebody and say, why are you mad, bro? <laughs> Look back and say, don't ever call me bro. <laughs> oh, you're mad again. I'm going to tell you this, and I was hesitant. Talking about old nature, 
I had to go to Kaiser with my wife for two appointments. Then I was at pharmacy, pushing her in the wheelchair. And then we had to go to the vitamin shop because she needed some supplements to affect the pain. And she wrote the supplements down on a piece of paper, very legibly, but I don't know what they are. And when I went in, I looked at the woman behind the cash register. She looked at me, and I passed the paper to her. She never looked at it. You know what she said? What do you want me to do with this? Boy, that old nature was coming up, brother. <laughs> and so I said, one, you can look at it. Two, you can read it. Three, you can punctuate it. Then four, you can go find if you have these things. Then she looked at me, and she didn't know what to say. But I thought, what did you mean by, I mean, you're the representative of the store. What do you want me to do with this? Well, what do you think I want you to do with it? If I go to the bank and slide you a check and it says cash, what do you want me to do with this? Oh, maybe this isn't a bank. I'm sorry. I'll go somewhere else. What do you think I want you to do with it? Well, we all have an old nature, and it doesn't take very much to bring that up. All it could take is a look. That's all, just a look at you. And what? What's up, bro? You know, how many know what I'm talking about? Oh, now everybody raises their hand. <laughs> okay, that's the old nature. But you died to that, and you, and clap here, you came alive to Jesus Christ. Okay? So how we respond, how we react to things is we learn from God's word and from being in church like you are this evening so that we can make our new nature stronger than our old nature. You are to live for the kingdom of God. When you do not fulfill your purpose, it is because you have become distracted. You're not reading the word. You're not praying. You're not coming to church. The news means more to you with all its fear-inducing tactics than coming to church and hearing the truth. You've become distracted. Distraction. Distraction is having your attention diverted. Having your attention diverted. A thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. I have a grandson. He's five years old. And when he wants you to listen to him, he, he touches your face like that. And he pulls you close, very gently, and he'll say, Grandpa, Grandpa, look at me, I'm talking to you. And that's what we do. Daniel, look at me when I'm talking to you. But he'll touch your face. That's what God wants you to do. He goes, come back to me, talk to me again. Listen to me, tell me you love me, and let me tell you how much I love you. I know it's rough, he says, but my love will help you overcome these battles. Don't get distracted about, well, you don't know how this is. Don't get distracted. You are a child of the living God. He loves you, church. He, come on. He loves you. Never forget that God loves you. No matter what happens, Satan says, uh-huh, I thought your God loved you. God still loves me. Because no matter what happens, I will be with him in eternity. You can't offer me anything. Why don't you... You know, I'll write a sermon and Satan will say, you're not going to preach that again, are you? I go, oh, now I know that's not God. I know who's telling me that. Well, this is exactly why God, in this verse of Titus 3.9, encourages us to avoid certain things because they take us away from the original focus 
of living our life for Jesus Christ. And one of the first things that comes into your life when you get distracted from the things of God is boredom. Next thing that comes is sadness because you begin to compare what you have with what you see others have. And you think God's keeping those things away from you. And then you say, you know, before I came to Christ, I had this, this, and this. Now that I've been a Christian, man, I can't do anything. That is not true. So I'm going to read that again. This is exactly why God warns us to avoid certain things because they take us away from the original focus of living our lives for Jesus Christ. Once time is wasted, you cannot get it back. Once an opportunity is gone, you cannot retrieve it. So we are to become transformed in our minds about what is important and what is a waste of time. What are you wasting your time on? I don't know who seated next to you will be here next week or will even be alive next week. I don't know. But if you're not here on this earth next week, for example, where are you going to be? And if you're a child of God, you should know. You should know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you are going to be. There should be no fear in your life or your mind whatsoever about who you belong to, whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and where you're going to spend eternity. No doubt whatsoever. So sin is not only a waste of time, it weakens my desire to become more like Jesus. That's what you should want. That's one of your goals when you got saved. I want to become more like my Savior. That's who you should focus on. Women, men, you should become more like Jesus. I am so concerned that some of you might not even fear God, nor would you ever humble yourself before his Holy Spirit. I really am concerned that some of you are not afraid to go ahead and sin. Maybe you think, I got time. That's the biggest lie there is. You don't know how much time you have. There was a group by the name of Chicago, and they had a song, and it was titled, Does Anybody Even Know What Time It Is? And here's the verse. As I was walking down the street one day, a man came up to me and asked me what the time was that I had on my watch. Yeah. And I said, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care about time? If so, I can't imagine why. We've all got time enough to cry. Does anybody really know what time it is? What time is it in your life? What's going on in your life? What's going on in your life with your family? What's going on in your life with your finances? What's going on in your life from your past or with your future? What's going on in your life? Does anybody really know what time it is? Are you wise enough to recognize I better start making some changes. I better start concentrating. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm an adult. I better start figuring out what I'm going to do because things are changing rapidly. Think of the parents in Texas. 19 children murdered. Those kids went to school that morning, kissed mommy and daddy, 
and never came back home. How quickly life changes. How quickly. You think of people who they hug their wife or they kiss their husband and they leave for work and they never come back. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe something happened. Because we're not thinking about time. Time is so important to us. And if God has let you live this long, it's because he has a purpose of something he wants you to accomplish for him. Do not get there and say, no, I never did that. Why not? When will you make him, your savior, most important thing in your life? When will you do that? Or have too many friends told you that, that's a boring lifestyle, don't go that way. Why did you become a Christian? Why did you die to self and come alive to Jesus Christ? What would it take? Would it take a major accident? Would it take being in the hospital or going to prison before you finally pick up the Bible and start reading it the way you were supposed to every day all along? Because if you can't read the word of God and Antichrist is not even on this earth, what are you going to do when Antichrist comes and no one can read the Bible? Heck, schools say you can't pray. Let someone try and tell me I can't pray. Then what are you doing? I'm praying right now. You can't stop someone from praying to God. What are you even bothering to do? You know, he gave you everything. Come on. You can't stop that. And you know as well as I, it's a battle because the devil tells you, God's not listening to you. That's not going to work. How does he know? And we think, it's just that we think God's in a box. We got to figure out. The Bible says he's past, past finding out. You can't figure him out, church. You can't put him in a box. He's not a, a, I don't know, when you play that, when you gamble, he's not one of those slot machines, or is that what they call him? He's not that. You can't make him do anything. He's God. And he was here before time began, and then he focused on you and only won you because there's not another one like you. Somebody say amen. There's only you, and he has a purpose when he made you. Bow your heads right now. We're not done. Don't look around. Heavenly Father, help me to understand what pastor's saying right now. What's my purpose? For what purpose was I created? For what purpose did I become one of your children? What is your purpose for my life? Lord, I don't understand everything but I do know you love me. Speak to my heart now. Tell me my purpose so that I begin to live for you. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and give God a hand of praise. <laughs> Consider just for a moment all the activities you participate in that are not kingdom related or are basically a waste of your valuable time. Our society believes that time is money. We've heard it growing up. Perhaps that is true, but time is also related to eternity in so much that when there is no more time for you, you will go to a place where time does not exist. There will be no time. I want to give you something. I want you tonight or whenever you can, go to YouTube 
you can write this down and look up 23 minutes in hell. 23 minutes in hell on YouTube. I want you to watch that. Bill Weiss was a realtor and God took him from this earth and took him straight to hell. And he describes what hell is like. And when God brought him back to earth, he put him back in his living room and there he lay on the carpet in his living room in a fetal position and all he did was beg his wife for water. Just keep bringing me water. Just keep bringing me water. He was so thirsty. I know I'm saved. I know the things that God has allowed me to understand from the word. But I looked at that and my eyes were open. I showed it to my wife, to Linda, and I told her, look at this. The things he describes, he describes demons that are in hell. One of the things he says that if, for example, your head was cut off on earth, maybe through an accident in hell, it gets, it keeps getting cut off. It keeps getting cut off and put on, cut off and put on, cut off and put on. So in other words, the pain never goes away. Never. Demons, he said, he described them, they, they rip your chest open, but there's no blood. And that's why it closes up again and they do it again. And it's a place where God is not. God is not there, like I told you a few weeks ago. If you don't get excited about God, then don't worry. Because if you're in hell, God is not there. And if God is not there, time is not there. So you don't go there and get out like after a few months or years like somebody brought up purgatory. There is no purgatory. So we're looking at our time. How are we spending our time? One place to go to is heaven and the other is hell. And I don't feel that people exactly like talking about this, for we do have our desires and we do have our pleasures. But where are all of these things that cater to our pleasures and desires taking us in relation to where we're going to spend eternity? It's something you need to think about. It's something you need to decide and determine. It's something you cannot leave up to happenstance or hope. Well, you know, I'm going to just be here. No, you have to know I am going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity or for eternity in heaven. Give God a hand of praise. So I don't even want you thinking, well, you know, maybe I'm not good enough. I'm going to wind up in hell. I'm not good enough. No one is good enough. Only Jesus Christ is good enough, but we're not. So the Apostle Paul in Titus was certain that the real task of the Christian lay in Christian action. That is not to say there's no place for Christian discussion, but the discussion that does not end in action is very largely wasted time. And wasting time is simply, simply something we cannot afford. Again, who's hearing me tonight? I don't have that much time to waste. I must be, didn't Jesus say, I must be about my father's business? I cannot be wasting my time. And you know people that want to waste your time. You know things that waste your time. It's not that you can't have fun. It's not that you can't, you know, do things with your friends. It means, am I concentrating on where I'm going to spend eternity? The modern church falls victim to the mentality of arguing 
and dividing itself over opinions, political views, parenting styles, worship styles, secondary theological issues, and a vast assortment of opinions and personal preferences that we elevate to spiritual law. And where this occurs, the result is the same today as in the first century. The church then becomes distracted from its mission to bring salvation, to bring love and hope to a dying world. Who are you bringing to Christ? Who are you talking to about salvation? Who are you leading to Jesus Christ? Or are you talking to anyone about God? You must be about your father's business. Is anybody hearing me tonight? So rather than attracting the unbeliever to something new and good, a community of faith and the grace of God, the church, us, we repel the outside world because they say this about the church. You guys are judgmental and you always have this bickering. And it's true. Some Christians will sit on this side and not talk to their brother or sister who's actually their real brother and sister sitting on that side. The purpose of salvation is not to, well, I'm just going to wait for the second coming of Jesus through inactivity. We are saved for a purpose, and that purpose is so we can be about our Father's business. Say this with me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what you're supposed to do. Your girlfriend, lady, your friend, guy, you're supposed to talk to them about Christ. You're supposed to share with your mom and dad. Maybe you're the only one that's saved in your family, but you have to talk about Jesus because if you don't, Satan is ready to get into that mind, and that's where demons dwell, in your mind, filling it with lies. That's why God says, get to know my truth. Know my truth. Here's some arguments. And I want you to think about these. And I wonder what you think about these questions. Can a Christian dance? Is it wrong for a Christian to dance? Well, I know, before you answer. <laughs> Said the ballroom instructor. No, not really. <laughs> this is what they want to argue about. Well, is it wrong for a Christian to dance? Some people were raised that that's wrong. Can a Christian drink wine? Can a Christian get a tattoo or pierce their ears? Can a Christian listen to secular music or go to the movies? The following is the philosophy of Charles Schultz, the creator of the Peanuts comic strip. And you don't have to actually answer these questions. Name the five wealthiest people in the world, if you can remember them. Name the last five winners of the Miss America pageant. Name 10 people who have won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Name the last half dozen Academy Award winners for best actor and actress. Name the last decade worth of World Series winners. How'd you do? The point is, none of us remember the headlines of yesterday. These are no second-rate achievers. They are the best in their fields, but the applause dies, the awards tarnish, achievements are forgotten, and accolades and certificates are buried with their owners. And here's another quiz. See how you do on this one. Name three friends 
who have helped you through a difficult time. Name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people who have made you feel appreciated and made you feel special. Think of five people you enjoy spending your time with. The lesson, the people who make a difference in your life are not the ones with the most credentials, the most money, or the most awards. They're not the ones who seem to be enjoying a sinful lifestyle and getting away with it. God is not looking for perfection. God just wants us to depend upon him as the answer to our issues and our problems. How many need God? Come on, give him a hand of praise. But there are churches and there are Christians who want to argue about, well, that person smokes. It's really none of your business. You're not the Holy Spirit. He is. I've told people, we're no longer accepting applications for the position of the Holy Spirit. He got the job. So, well, they dance. What does that have to do with you? Well, they drink. What does that have to do with you? Well, they do this or that. That's none of your business. I tell people, the only life you're responsible for is your life. But God is the one they'll have to answer to, not you. You're not God. And sometimes Christians chase people away because we tell them, oh, you can't do that. Why would you tell them that? We want to clean people up before we bring them to Christ. Bring them to Christ. Let the Holy Spirit clean them up. Come on. Because then you're chasing them away. I don't want to be, Christians are judgmental, man. You know, or they get saved and they're still doing that. Then one day you say, man, you used to smoke. What happened? And one day the Holy Spirit said, stop. So I stopped. And he took it away from me. Wow. So all those years I was crumbing on you, that didn't help? Nope. Made me smoke more. <laughs> we want to control others. Nobody asks you to do that. This church at Cathedral of Faith does not do that to anyone. And I don't want my people to do that. That's not why you're, what you're learning from me. So would Pastor Mike, do you know so-and-so drinks? Why does that bug you? The only one they have to answer to is him, not to me. An evangelist came here to speak. And in between services, he would go out in the back of the parking lot and he would smoke. And then he would come and do the second service. And then in the evening when he was here for the evening service, before service and after service, he would smoke. And he was in a, uh, I don't know, like a drug program. And he told the people, I'm coming out of drugs. But you would think we would pray for him instead of, so why the heck did they bring that drug addict here to talk to us about Jesus? Who do you want him to talk about? And what divides us is when we are mean to other people and give them that look huh, because they do something that we don't approve of. Who made you God, right? Who made you God? You're just like them. The apostle Paul said, I don't even judge myself. I let the Lord judge me. 
He tells us we're going to get into heaven. But what if God told you when you got there, as much as I love you, um, you're not coming into my kingdom. What would you say? What would you do? Would you demand to get in? Would you argue with him and tell him you're wrong? Or would you bow down and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for the life you did give me. And I understand. I, I can't accept it, but I do understand. If I can't get into your kingdom, you died for me, but you know you, you're the righteous judge. You think God's going to make a mistake? And the funny thing about it is we try to be so holy to impress him, and it doesn't do anything to him. He looks at your heart, that place that no one sees, your heart. He knows what's in your heart. He knows how you feel about someone else. He even said that if you're angry at someone, you're guilty of murder. Whoa. He says if you look on someone and lust after them, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So you get to a point where you say, Lord, no one's innocent. I'm not innocent. So how can someone that's not innocent judge others because we think that we're more innocent, innocent than they are. If one of your brothers or sisters is doing something you don't approve of, pray for them. Tell them you love them. But don't even bring it up what you think they shouldn't be doing. You know why? Because there I go, but for the grace of God. That could be me. That could be you. I tell people, with your judgmental attitude, you take other people's joy away. And I'll be honest with you. I'm trying my best to live for God, and I can't even please you because you're always criticizing me for something you think I shouldn't be doing. And he never criticizes me. Do you know that I will not let you poke me in my chest? You know what? I won't let you cuss me out. You know why? God doesn't do that to me. Why would I let another human being do that? We're supposed to be about love. That's it. And what did I say before? We know people that are hard to love. And that's why we need God's grace. Give me your grace to be more loving, to bring more people to you, and for me not to worry about what I think they should be. That's just first down of how to be an undefeated Christian. Did you learn something tonight? Hmm? Heavenly Father, teach me to concentrate on the time that I have to be about my Father's business, to do things for you. Call me, Lord God, and give me your grace to become more concerned about pleasing you and not others. Let me learn by your Holy Spirit to live in such a way that I actually talk to people that you tell me. Go and talk to that person and tell them I love them. Teach me to let go of my judgment, my judgmental spirit. And as your word says,
be kind. Be kind to one another. And Lord, I know I already see their face and I know their name, the one I have offended. Give me your grace to go to them and ask them for your forgiveness. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray in this church said. Good night, church. I love you.